John chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 19 through 37. It says, And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now when they had been sent from the now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this. And they followed Jesus. Uh, we've been, as we've uh, started looking at the Gospel of John in the times that I have the opportunity to preach, uh, we've noted that John's purpose is one to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God. And I think that's important to remember the, the differing purposes of the Gospels, as I, I talked about a, a couple of months ago. The importance of understanding that is key to understanding the Gospels, and we have to recognize this purpose that they have and this is why they include the stories that they include. I think it's why they put them in the order that they put them in. And there is, so there's this over, overarching purpose that they use to compile the Gospels. And John's purpose was to prove that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I think we, we often say that this was, um, was written to the world, to, to prove to the world because of verses like John 3.16 that say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I think that there is a certain extent to which that is true because the, I think the Gospels in general were written to evangelize. But I think that there's also a point here where there, there's, a, there's a very church focus of John as I read it, especially toward the end as Jesus begins teaching his disciples specifically. And, and John records this very long section at the end of his, uh, his Gospel uh, of Jesus teaching the disciples uh, he starts in chapter 13, and it leads up until the crucifixion, and then there's this other section even following the crucifixion and resurrection where Jesus again is teaching his disciples, and it, it seems that he's teaching them about the church. He's telling them the Holy Spirit's going to come, and he's praying for them as the church in John 17. And so we see this, this emphasis, I, I see this emphasis on the church, and, and proving, really establishing for the church that Jesus is the Son of God. That, that that's really what we, we need to see it too. It's not just everyone outside the church that needs to see that Jesus is the Son of God. They do need to see that Jesus is the Son of God. 
But, they, but we also need to see it in here. You need to see it in your own life. You need to recognize how that impacts the way that you live your life. If Jesus isn't the Son of God in your life, then, then you are not going to be the Christian that you need to be. You're not going to live the way that you should live. And, and ultimately, you're not receiving him as we emphasized in the first 18 verses. You're not going to receive him as who he is. You're, you're going, basically, you're going to respond like everyone else responds. You're not going to know him, even though he comes into the world that was made by him. And he, he says he comes to his own people and his own people don't receive him. So, there's, so I think that we need to recognize how important it is for us that Jesus is the Son of God. And how that means that he has ultimate control over our lives and the things that we do. And the decisions that we make ought to come under the authority of Jesus as the Son of God. Because he is God. And, in this, and so in, as John seeks to prove this, the way that I, I think John is a tricky book to outline, and I don't know if my outline is, is really all that great, but as I've, as I've looked through this, I, I really see this emphasis on testimony and um, bearing witness. These two words appear, um, well, the, word, the noun testimony, as it's used here in, John, in uh, verse 19, it says this is the testimony of John. That noun, testimony, that, the Greek word that's, that's translated testimony there is used 14 times in the Gospel of John. And then there's the verb form of that, which is, but usually translated bear witness, or sometimes testify as well, uh, that, is tr- that is, appears 32 times. They come from essentially the same Greek root. And they mean essentially the same thing, this idea of either being a testimony, like the, the noun testimony, or the, the idea of giving a testimony, bearing witness of the truth of something. Now, that might not mean anything necessarily that, this, that these two words appear a total of 46 times in this gospel, except for the fact that John, or that Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined have those same two words appear only five times. So it seems like there's something going on there. And so I, I don't, I, I've kind of built my, my outline of the book of John on that word, testimony and the way that I the way that I've got it divided up here is I, I see this division or I see first of all the testimony of receivers those who receive Jesus and have the power to become children of God as it says in verse 12 of, of chapter 1 the testimony of receivers and we have John the Baptist we have the disciples that are going to be emphasized here Nicodemus as well as the woman at the well and then um, and then following that, I believe Jesus. Ha- there's a testimony of Jesus that's emphasized. And Jesus, as he talks, is going to talk about different things that testify to him. The Word of God, the Law, Moses, God himself and the Spirit that are testifying of the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. And as he establishes that through his, through his teaching of people. And really, as he's doing that, there's this focus in 5 through, uh, through 13, or the end of chapter 12, on the people who don't receive. Jesus is who he is. So there's this testimony of Jesus to those who don't receive him. Even though he's explicitly telling them who he is and giving them clear sign as to who he is, they don't receive him. And then I see uh, th- this, this book ends up with, the, like the second to last verse says, and this is the testimony of that, that disciple, that is John, that's, that Jesus mentions. He says, this is the testimony of that disciple and we know that he's telling the truth. And I see that as, as being an emphasis on the things that, that happened 
um, following that, the, the, the close-knit teaching of Jesus is recorded by John and by no other, by no other evangelist. And it starts in verse 13, or chapter 13, and, and goes to the end of the, the, end of the, uh, the gospel. And so that's John's testimony. So, so we're going to see there's the testimony of the receivers, those who, who receive Jesus, the testimony of Jesus to those that don't receive him, and then finally the testimony of the disciples, and specifically John himself. And so, is, so that's, that's going to be kind of the focus. And, and as we look at this then, I want to focus on this, word, this, this statement at the beginning. This is the testimony of John. This is what John has to say about Jesus. That's what we're looking at tonight. That, that, that we're looking at what John has to say about Jesus. And, and I think that, that it's important for us to grasp uh, what John says here about Jesus. As, as, as we kind of look through, it's essentially a storyline that, that I think we need to grasp. And I think that that is the focus of what's going on, is what John is saying about Jesus. And he's establishing him as the Son of God. That is the importance of this text of Scripture. That is what, what I believe that's why John put this in his gospel, is to establish that John the Baptist believed that Jesus is the Son of God. And therefore, you should too. Because John the Baptist had huge respect, especially among the especially among the first century church, he would have had huge respect, and he ought to be well-respected by us based on the things that Jesus said about him. Jesus said that there is none greater in the kingdom of heaven than John the Baptist. That's, that's a pretty significant statement that he could make about somebody. The, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is John the Baptist. If that's the case, then, I, then his opinion of who Jesus is ought to bear some weight in our opinion of who Jesus is. And John clearly establishes who Jesus is. He's the Son of God, and that's what he says. Essentially, if we were to boil down these verses to one verse, it could be verse 29. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When he sees Jesus coming, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Look, see, there's the Lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. He's the Son of God. He's God himself in the flesh who's come to take away your sins. That's the testimony of John. And as John gives his testimony, I think there, there's some things that kind of jump out at me that, that I think have an, that have an analogy in our lives as we think about this. Because as we look at John's testimony, I think there's something that, well, the thing that jumps out at me is how self, self-debasing maybe is the word that we could use to describe John's testimony about himself, that, that it's self-abasing and God-glorifying. And if that's the case, then, then our, I think our testimony needs to be the same way. I believe our testimony needs to be self-abasing and God-glorifying. You know, we live in a, we, we, we are inherently self-centered. It's, it's who we are as people. That's, that's my sin nature, that I tend to focus on me. I tend to be more concerned about what I want than anyone else when people don't, don't, uh, or get in the way of me getting what I want, I tend to get angry or I tend to get frustrated or I tend to treat them um, in, in a manner that, that is probably wrong. And so the, the fact is that that is who I am. I'm inherently sin, self-centered and, and so are you. And because of that, we have this natural inclination to testify about us. We're not usually testifying about the greatness of God. Sometimes, I'll admit, you know, especially those of us who are redeemed, you know, God, God is doing a work in us. 
and He humbles us to the extent where we can testify of His love. But, but a lot of times we're testifying of our own, our own greatness. I mean, and nothing's, you know, nothing about our culture does anything to diminish that. Do you, you notice that? I mean, think about Facebook. You know, how it feeds our desire to be noticed and to testify about ourselves. You know, the, the, it, and Facebook has created the, the art of the humble brag and how you can, you can kind of make it look like you're not really bragging when you are, you know? Like, boy, this 32-ounce steak sure is tough, you know, to chew. You know, like, oh, my goodness, he's eating a 30. You know, like, there's the humble brag that, that you know, and we, we, we tweet it or we put it all on, you know, everybody needs to know about, you know, what's going on in my life. We, we, we have to self-broadcast. You know, it's like the ticker at the bottom of Fox News' broadcasts, only it's your life. And it's self-centered. It's all about you. And that's the way we are, right? This, is, this, is, this, is, this is feeds it. It's just like another avenue for us to express our self-centeredness and how, how much we want everyone to notice us. Look at what my kid did. You know, I, was, he's amazing. He is like the next whatever you want him to be. Right? And we, we're constantly promoting ourselves, self-promoting, We've got, to, we've got to make sure we protect our brand and that we brand ourselves now. Make sure that you keep yourself, you know, your, your profile up on LinkedIn so you can have, you know, get a good job someday and get your connections. And, you know, this is, it's just insane. It's insane how much we self-promote. And, and it's not just everybody outside these walls, and you know it. And it's really, as much, some of you are thinking, I don't even know what he's talking about. Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, what in the world? And let me tell you something. It's not just those people. It's not just the people on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter that are doing it either. It's you. It's every one of us. That's who we are. And, and we tend to be self-centered. But I think that John's example here shows us that, that our testimony ought to be about promoting Christ rather than ourselves. And it ought to be about lifting up Christ and drawing attention to Christ rather than drawing attention to me. And I think his testimony provides three aspects that, that, that provide an analogy to our own testimony, to our own lives, and how we can, how we can, be, take, we can have our testimony promote Christ rather than ourselves. So, um, so let's look at this. And I see this, first of all, that he had an accurate view of himself. That's, that's the first question they come asking him, right? Who are you, John? Who are you? And, and uh, he says here, he, he confessed but, and did not deny, but confessed. There's this emphasis on what he said. He confessed that this is what John said. John never claimed to be the Christ. He never claimed to be Jesus. He, he, he said, I am not the Christ. And that's what they expected him to say. They expected him to say, I'm the Messiah. I am the promised one. But, they, but he doesn't say that, no. Instead, he says, I am not the Christ. They, well, they keep the questions coming then. Okay, well, well are you Elijah? Now, the, the Jews had this belief that perhaps, uh, perhaps Elijah um, was, because he didn't die, he was taken up in the whirlwind, that 
he was going to come back. And, and then Malachi has this prophecy that Elijah is going to precede the Messiah. And Jesus says at one point, actually, that John is Elijah. But John is probably responding to what they are, to the question they're asking, because he knows what they're asking. They're asking, are you the Elijah we expect to come? Are you actually Elijah in the flesh? And so that's why he says, no, I'm not Elijah. Well, they get, they get are you the prophet? At least that's the way the, the ESV translates it. Are you the prophet? Some of your translations might say a prophet. I'm not sure. I didn't check any of the other translations. But, um, but John Calvin actually thinks that, that, that even though the, the article does appear in the Greek, that it'd probably be a better translation to translate this a prophet. Because the prophet would be a reference to Deuteronomy, where Moses said, there's going to come a prophet, there's going to come another prophet, which is essentially a messianic prophecy. He said, there's going to come another prophet, the prophet. And they were constantly looking for the prophet. Well, that wouldn't make sense for them to ask that, though. He'd already said, I'm not that guy. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. So it wouldn't make sense for them to ask again, well, are you the prophet? Are you the Messiah? I mean, essentially asking that question twice doesn't make sense. So they're probably asking, are you a prophet? Which would, to avoid redundancy, they ask that, and he says, no. I don't think John thought of himself as a prophet. Now, uh, Jesus, again, uh, had something to say about this. In Matthew 11 and verse 9, Jesus said, um, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A prophet? And he said, yeah, you went out to see a prophet and much more than a prophet. And I, and I think that John's ministry was not prophetic in the sense of an Old Testament prophet. It, he wasn't giving some specific, at least he didn't consider his, his message prophetic. And he didn't consider his job that of a prophet. Instead, he considered himself to be doing what God told him to do. That's what, that's what he says. He says, well, well, then who are you? We have to give an answer to the people who sent us. Who are you then? And he says, I'm just the guy that Isaiah talked about. The guy who's coming to prepare the way for the Lord. I'm coming to prepare the way. I'm the ambassador to precede the king. I'm not the king. I'm not the guy you think I am. I'm not a prophet. There's, and I think he was somewhat... Self, I think you can see a self-debasing attitude here, not a self-promoting attitude. He wasn't about promoting himself. He was about promoting Christ, and he was about doing what God wanted him to do. That was his main purpose. That, that he would be able to accomplish what God wanted him to do, which was prepare the way for the Messiah. Prepare the way for him that is to come, the Lord. For God himself, who is coming. And so he, he has this accurate view of himself. He, he saw himself as second place. And that, that's what he said. Um, he, he says that, uh, he addresses that anyway, later on. When he says, this is he of whom I said, this is verse 30, I'm sorry. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me. This is the one who's better than me. This is the one you really want to pay attention to. This is the one you should be looking at, not me. You really shouldn't be asking John, who are you? Because to ask that question is to miss the point. It doesn't really matter who John is. They asked the wrong question and they asked the wrong guy. 
They should have asked, where's, where's the Lord? That, that would have been the right question to ask John. And to ask, who are you to Jesus? Which they essentially did later on in the book of John and reject what he says. But nonetheless, at this point, they're asking the wrong guy the wrong question. They miss the point. But John draws attention to God. He draws attention to Christ. He had an accurate view of himself. Not only that, I think he had a correct identification of the Messiah. I think you could also see this as a, as a, as a correct view of God. Because that's who the Messiah was. God himself. And, and I see this in, in verses 29 through 34 where he says, the next day, and so after that conversation, the next day, Jesus is coming towards him and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He, had, he, he knew who Jesus was and he knew what he was supposed to do. He knew what, what the word of God said about him and he believed it. God presented truth to John the Baptist and he accepted it. He accepted that truth about who Jesus was. He accepted that truth about who he was. And he proclaimed it. Notice what, it, what, it, what he says here in verse 32. This, this is what John bore witness. saying this, Again, this, essentially saying this is John's testimony. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I didn't know who he was. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So we see, and, and, and he says here, by the way, in verse 31 too, he says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Can I just add that I think that this tells us what prepare the way of the Lord means? Because that's what he said. He, he says in verse 23, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord. And then he says, this is why I came baptizing with water. That he might be revealed to Israel. So that you would know who Jesus is. So you would know who the Lamb is. So you would know where God in the flesh is. This is him. This is Jesus. And that's why I'm here baptizing, is to show all of you this guy. That's what prepare the way of the Lord meant to John. But he talks about how, G, how, how God tell, told him this message. You're going to see something, John. I think we maybe can base on these verses that John was the only one who saw the Spirit descend on Jesus as a dove. Or like a dove. That, that the Spirit descended from heaven like a dove and remained on him was something God said to me. Because he said, in verse 33, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. This is the Messiah. This is the one you're coming to prepare the way, of, the way for. And so when John had baptized Jesus, which isn't exactly recorded here, this is a different time when Jesus came back, apparently, to where John was, John said, when I baptized this guy, the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, the same way a dove descends, and remained on him. And God told me that's the sign that I would know that this is the Messiah. He didn't know. He didn't know exactly who the Messiah was, but when God presented the truth to him, he accepted it, and he believed it, and it changed his life. It changed the message. It emphasized the Messiah. 
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he listened to God and he acted on what he heard. And this answers the question, who is that? And instead of asking, who are you to John, we should be asking, who's that? Who's that guy? That's the Messiah. That's the one you should believe. That's the one you should obey. That's the one you should follow. And that leads into the last point, that he had an evangelical responsibility toward others. You see, what, what John does is he, he points other people to Jesus too. And he's doing this throughout. Every time he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's pointing other people to Jesus. He's not pointing people to himself. And, and notice what he does in verses 35 through 37. He not only is not pointing to himself, but he's pushing people away from himself and to Jesus. He's more concerned about people following Jesus than following him. He's more concerned about promoting his, promoting his Savior, about promoting his Lord, than he is about promoting himself. He, wasn't, he would be pushing friends on Facebook to Jesus, not trying to build up his own friend total on Facebook. To keep the analogy going. Now, the, the fact of the matter is, is that he's trying to draw attention to Christ and he's pushing people to Christ. This is the guy to follow. This is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here. Follow him. And two of his disciples were there when, he saw, when Jesus comes by the next day. So Jesus came by the second day in a row and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And as soon as John says that, his disciples know, this is the guy that we're supposed to follow. This guy's more important than John. John's been telling us this over and over and over again. His whole ministry, he's been telling us, his disciples, there's somebody more important than me. Follow that guy. And when he says, behold the Lamb of God, they realize, this is the guy. And John is pushing them, follow Jesus. Obey Jesus. Be Jesus' disciples. And, and we'll talk about this the next time I preach, but it, it, what's amazing what happens after this because two of the, the two disciples that come, one of them is named Andrew. And Andrew is significant not because we have Andrews here at our church, but because he's, the he's Peter's brother. Peter. The rock. And this rock. The, the one who makes the confession. The one who makes the denial. The one who's the, the preacher at Pentecost. That Peter is Andrew's brother. And Andrew tells him. Andrew says, hey, we, we found the Messiah. And Andrew goes and tells Nathaniel about the Messiah. And it's announced. Why was Andrew telling other people about the Messiah? Because his teacher pointed him out to him. Because his, his teacher made sure that Andrew knew who was really the one to be followed. That's why Andrew told other people. Because his, his teacher told him, or showed him a perfect example. You've got to tell other people. Behold the Lamb of God. See the Messiah. Follow the Messiah. And Andrew has an impact as well. And so John the Baptist indirectly impacts the life of Simon Peter. You see, you see how, how when there is this self-debasing and God-glorifying attitude in our testimony, what an impact it can have. 
Now, I'm, I'm not guaranteeing that, you know, you're going to have, you know, hundreds of disciples if you, um, you know, if, if you follow this formula. This isn't a magic formula. But I, I do believe that the testimony of John had power because, because he focused not on himself, but on the God of his testimony. It really wasn't about John. It was ultimately about Jesus. And John testifies to that. And, and I appreciate John the evangelist, the gospel writer, who, emphasize, who emphasizes that point for us. And over and over again in this first chapter, we see again and again, John wasn't the Messiah, and he came to bear witness. He came to testify about the Messiah. And this is his testimony. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. If you're a Christian, I think the application is, is obvious. When, who do you spend more time testifying about? You know, who, who's, who do people hear more about from you? You or Jesus? What's the focus of what you do? You or Jesus? And if that's not convicting, then you're a whole lot further along in your sanctification than I am. Because, I mean, even saying those words. I feel like a, a low life. I shouldn't be the one saying this. Because I talk way too much about myself and way too little about Jesus. And it's my job. I don't, I don't do what I'm supposed to do in that regard. And I, I focus way too much on me. It's all about what I, you know, me getting what I want. It ought to be about Jesus being magnified and glorified in, obe in my obedience to him. If, you, if, you're, uh, if you've never, if you're, if you're not a Christian or, or unsure of your salvation, I think we'd be remiss to talk about, or I'd be remiss to, to not mention the importance of the truth of that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is why, this is why he deserves to be glorified, why he deserves the attention and not us. Because you do recognize that because this world is all messed up, not because of God, but because of us. We're the ones who screwed everything up. We're the ones who messed up. We're the ones who've sinned. We, we've brought the death on ourselves, the cancer, the, the disease, the tragedy. It's our fault because we're sinners. Because it's, it's in us, because the self-centeredness is in us. But Jesus comes and lives a righteous and holy life and then offers that righteous, holy life to you for as a free gift, he takes your sin upon himself that's killing you and destroying you and eventually will kill you twice if you let it. And he takes that sin upon himself and takes that death because death can't destroy him. And he gives you, he offers to you freely of his righteousness, who he is in his perfection, he offers to you as a free gift to take. 
And that free gift gives you righteousness. You can stand before God and not fear the second death, which is in the lake of fire for all of eternity. You can, you can stand before God as his child, being justified freely by his grace. That is declared righteous by his grace. We then, as Christians, have access to God. We have peace. We have hope. Those are the things that he offers you, and it's all packaged up in that free gift of his justification, of his righteousness, declared on you through his Son, who he made sin for you. He killed because of your sin. That, that's, what, that's the gospel. And that's what you have to believe. And, and when you believe that, there will be a process of change that takes place in the way that you think where eventually, I think, our testimony can be a whole lot more like John's and a whole lot less like Rory's. Where Jesus is the one testified about and I, I must decrease. He must increase. That was John's message. That was his testimony.